If you will, please turn your Bibles to John chapter number 2. Great job, worship team. So thankful for you. Do a amazing work of leading us into the presence of God through praise and worship. And I'm so thankful that you use your abilities and talents God's given you um, to serve Him and to bless us. I've enjoyed church already today. We've had church and experienced the Lord. I'm so thankful for that. I was just sitting back there thinking about that Romans. Not my message, but Romans 8 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation. To be condemned means to be found guilty and to be punished for the things that you've done wrong. If you, you're condemned, something somebody has said you're guilty and you deserve punishment. Now, how many of you know the opposite of condemnation is pardon? When God says we can go free, how many of you believe this morning that Jesus pardoned us at the cross? And all who trust in his finished work, there is therefore now no condemnation. And you are in Christ Jesus. Your position has changed. You went from being outside Jesus to in Jesus. You went from being dead in trespasses and sins to being made alive by the person of the Holy Spirit. You have went from darkness and been translated, the Bible says, into the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything has changed for the believer. There's therefore now no condemnation. You don't have to live in the regrets of the past. You don't have to live in the guilt of yesterday. Let me tell you why. That's been forgiven. You are no longer condemned. You've been pardoned. God has set you free because of His grace. His grace is His undeserved favor toward us. And it is truly amazing. See, folks, I was guilty. And the truth, uh, truth is, you were too. <laughs> All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When we put ourselves up next to the holiness of God, we see just how sinful we are. When we look to the standard of the Word of God, we see just how much we need Jesus. So we're all guilty. We all deserve condemnation. We all deserve punishment. But by God's grace, His undeserved favor, He's shown us love, offered forgiveness. And the Bible says all who trust in Jesus can be washed clean of the sin that separates you from holy God. There's therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ. So you need to answer that question. Are you in Jesus? Have you made the decision to trust in Him as your personal Savior? If not, I can't think of a better time to do that than today. Man, it's amazing how good He is. I'm so thankful for what He's done in my life. Last week I preached to you a message from John chapter number 11 on the raising of Lazarus. And I told you that um, there was a message in that miracle. There was a reason Jesus did what he did at the tomb of Lazarus. Well today we're going to look at John chapter number 2. And again, folks, right here we see a message in the miracle that Jesus performs. John records in his gospel seven different miracles. Now he does it. Um, he calls them signs. And the reason he records these signs is that these signs have significance. Significance for us um, and, and certainly for those who lived in that day. These signs show us something about who God is and who we are. It shows us who Jesus is, what he came to do, and why we need him. 
These signs truly have a message. You keep your place there in John chapter 2, and let me share with you something from John chapter number 20. John chapter 20 and verse number 30. Listen to what the Bible tells us. John 20, verse number 30. John says, There are many other things that Jesus did in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. He said, John said, There's a lot of other stuff that I didn't record. There's a lot of other signs that Jesus did um, that are not written down. As a matter of fact, if you go on over, uh, just flip on over to John chapter 21 and verse number 25. Listen how he puts it here. He says, and there are many, also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Do you see that? John said, Jesus did so much stuff, if we wrote them all down, the world wouldn't contain the books. That's a pretty big statement. So Jesus was continually, constantly throughout his ministry doing things that only God can do. Do you know why he was doing things that only God could do? Because he was God. He was God incarnate in the flesh. He was the Son of God, yes, but he was also God the Son. He was God coming and living as a man so that he might do for men what men can't do for themselves. And so John says in John chapter 20 and, and there in, uh, in, in verse number 31, he said, these things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you might have life through his name. So what John is telling us, these things that I've written, I've written them down for a reason. These miracles have a message. These signs hold great significance because they're teaching you about who Jesus is. He is God the Son and the Son of God. They're teaching us who Jesus is, who we are, why we need him, and how much he loves us. It's amazing when we actually start looking at these miracles. Don't uh, let it, don't miss the significance in all of this. Don't miss these great messages. John chapter 2, we find the message in the miracle when Jesus turned the water into wine. Now last week we said that um, in uh, at the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus was the answer to man's death. He is the resurrection and the life. If you believe that this morning, say amen. He's able to bring to life those who, who are dead in trespasses and sins. And for that, I'm so very thankful. This morning, I want you to see that Jesus is the answer for man's disappointment. And that's what the Bible's going to show us right here in John chapter number 2. I've heard it said that Jesus began his ministry with a miracle at, Cain, at, the, at the marriage and ended it with uh, the miracle at Lazarus' tomb at a funeral. And that's what we find here in John chapter 2. Let's read verses 1 uh, through 11 and we'll get started with this. In the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, and the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the, mass, the, the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, 
the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and said unto him, Every man at the beginning doeth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then they which set forth the worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. And his disciples believed on him. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for doing what only you can do. I'm so thankful that you have all power to do all things. You are omnipotent. I'm thankful, Lord, that you are omniscient, Lord. You know everything we need even before we know it. You know us better than we know ourselves. And Lord, this morning I'm thankful that you are omnipresent. You're with us right now, right here in this place. You are closer than our next breath. And Father, I'm asking that you manifest yourself to these people, that you show us just exactly who you are, that, Lord, you speak to hearts and change lives, that you do what only you are capable of doing. We're praying that souls be saved, addictions be broken, families be healed. We're praying that you grow this church, first of all, spiritually, and, and Lord, also in number, that you add to this fellowship, Lord, exactly who you want, when you want them. And, God, we're going to give you honor, praise, and glory for it all, for you alone are worthy. Lord, show us this morning the message in this miracle. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Bible says that this marriage supper in Cana of Galilee was the first miracle that Jesus did. And uh, there's three points that I want to give you. First of all, I want to talk to you about Jesus and the marriage. Then we're going to talk about Jesus and his mama. And then we're going to talk about Jesus and the miracle. So the Bible says in the first two verses, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to this marriage. And so the first miracle was at a marriage, and the last miracle was at a funeral. I had a man tell me one time who had a very negative, pessimistic view of what marriage is. He said, Brother Israel, you know the only difference between the first miracle that Jesus was doing and the last? I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, do you know the only difference between a marriage and a funeral? I said, what's that? He said, at one, you're standing up. Now, folks, listen to me. I, I, don't, I don't believe that's how marriage ought to be. I don't believe that's what God has called marriage to be. As a matter of fact, I believe marriage is a blessing. I believe that marriage, uh, folks, is, is a gift that God has given us. I, I believe that marriage, even though sometimes it has to be endured, should be enjoyed. See, there comes a time in every marriage, in every relationship, when you're going to have to do some endearing. But that's not all a marriage is. God has given us marriage so that we might enjoy one another and enjoy himself. Jesus goes to this marriage and brings joy, and we're going to see that in just a moment. Now listen to me, folks. I want you to understand and know that um, these people invited Jesus to their marriage. See, listen to me, husbands. Listen to me, wives. If you want a marriage that you not just endure from time to time, but you certainly enjoy day by day, let me tell you how you get that. You need to invite Jesus into your marriage. You need to put Jesus in the center of your home. You need to put him as first priority in your life. Because listen to me, husband, and listen to me, wife. When you grow closer to Jesus, you'll grow closer to one another. I can promise you that. That's how God has set it up. That's what God said marriage is supposed to be. Folks, this morning, I believe with everything in me, this world could be changed. But now listen, it has to be changed starting in the home. Now, now listen, I, I want you to understand and know we've got problems in the White House. Everybody knows that. 
Anybody who's not got their head in the sand knows that we've got problems in the White House. We've got problems in the State House. We've got problems in the Senate. We've got problems in the House of Representatives. We've got problems in all those houses. But let me tell you what to fix most of the problems that are in the world today. Not what goes on in that house, but what goes on in our house. What goes on in my house? What goes on in your house? See, what God wants is for men, women, boys, and girls to put Him in the center of their lives. He wants to get them to invite Him into uh, the equation, into uh, the family, into the center of a marriage. Folks, I'm telling you something. Things could change and things would change if we had some husbands, we had some fathers that would get on their face before the Lord, repent of their sins, turn to Jesus, first of all as Savior, make Him Lord in their life and allow Him to work on them, work in them, and work through them to be the man that God has called them to be. I'm talking about a husband that loves his wife as Christ loved the church. I'm talking about a father who's raising up children and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If we had some men that would do that things would change in our world if we had some women some wives and some mothers who would get on their face and repent and turn to the Lord and invite Jesus into the center of their life into the center of their home and they start becoming a woman that God is pleased with first and foremost and a mama that raises up them babies in a way that would honor the Lord if we had mamas who put Jesus as first priority in their life, I'm going to tell you, things could change. And things would change. So I invite you to invite Jesus into the center of your marriage. Listen, I try to do that every day. I just get on my face before the Lord and say, Lord, help me to be a husband that you are pleased with today. A husband that you've called me to be according to your word and help me, Lord, to be a husband my wife needs. Help me to be a man that loves her as you love me. I, I pray for that continually. Hey, listen, we need to pray daily, fathers, that we would be shining examples of what it means to follow Christ in our home to our children. Because listen to me, dads, you are teaching your sons what it means to be a godly man. We're either teaching them right or we're teaching them wrong. But we're teaching them. Mamas, listen to me. You are teaching your children what it means to be a godly woman. Your, your, your little girls. Fathers, let me tell you something. Husbands, let me tell you something. You're teaching your daughters what man she wants to marry or needs to marry. You really are. See, we're teaching not as much by what we say, but by what we do. So daily, we need to relinquish our will to God's will and pray that God would be the center of our home. The center of our marriage. The center of those relationships. Amen? Now, I know that's kind of a different message for a different day, but Jesus was invited to this marriage, and I believe he needs to be invited into our marriage, into our home. We're going to preach that message in just a, about a month from now is my plan. So be praying about that. We're going to be looking at the importance of the family and what God says about it in his word. But I want you to know, if you'll invite Jesus to the marriage, he'll come. <laughs> he'll come. The Bible says in John chapter 2, verse 1, in the third uh, day there was a marriage in Canaan of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called. He was invited. They wanted him to be a part of it. And his disciples to the marriage. Isn't that good? When Jesus was invited, he came. 
Let me tell you why. Two reasons. Number one, he honors marriage. Do you know that? Do you know that God honors marriage so much that when he describes the relationship between Christ and the church, he uses the marriage to describe it? Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Keep your place there in John chapter 2 and flip over just a moment. Ephesians chapter number 5. Look down at verse number 25. The scripture says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Do you see that? God holds marriage in such high regard that he uses marriage to describe the relationship between Jesus and the church. He honors marriage. Let me give you another one. Go to Hebrews chapter 13 just a moment. Hebrews chapter 13. Look down at verse number 4. The Bible says marriage is honorable. If you believe that, say amen. Let me tell you what that means. God honors marriage and God blesses what he honors when you do it God's way. So let me ask you something. How many of you want blessing upon your relationship? If you want blessing upon your relationship, say amen. Me too. I want blessing upon my relationship with my wife. Now the only way I can receive blessing upon my relationship with my wife is if I do my relationship, my marriage with my wife God's way. God honors marriage and then he blesses what he honors. Amen? Marriage is honorable. Let's go on. Let's, what else it says right here? And the marital bed undefiled. Now listen, any other bed is defiled. Are you getting me? The marital bed is undefiled. When you make a commitment to one another in holy matrimony before the Lord and you are married, God says now you are able to take part in the gift of sexual intimacy and I'll bless that. But until then, it's defiled. It's wrong. See, fornication today is really winked at and nobody really wants to talk about it or say it's wrong anymore and because it's really become popularized by the culture that we live in. But the truth is, God's word hasn't changed. Sex outside of marriage is still wrong. God says the marital bed is undefiled. Sex before marriage is fornication. Sex outside of marriage is fornication. <laughs> it is adultery. So, so you need to understand and know, folks, listen to me now, that God says, I honor marriage and I will bless what I honor. So if you want God's blessing, do it God's way. Do it God's way. Do what God says. And, and listen to me now. When you do that, when you do that, not only, not only will it change things between you and your partner, but it changes everything between you and your God. It really does. It makes all the difference, I'm telling you. So Jesus honors marriage, and when he was invited, he got right in the middle of it. <laughs> he came to the marriage. It's amazing. I love that. 
He'll come to my marriage. And folks, he'll come to your marriage if we'll invite him. Let's put Jesus in the center of our home and keep him there. Now, not only do I want you to see Jesus in the marriage, but you also need to see Jesus and his mama. Let's go on. John chapter number 2. And, and look down with me at verse number 4. Or excuse me, verse number 3. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Now, you need to understand something. To run out of wine in this culture would have been the most disappointing thing that could have happened for this family. I mean, they would have been disgraced in that culture to have run out of the wine at the wedding. <laughs> Amen? And, and that really brings us to a, a, one of my main points that I want to give you this morning. Do you know that Jesus is the answer for man's disappointment? Do you know that? Now, let, let me give you some reasons why we get disappointed and see if this has ever happened to you. When life don't turn out like you planned life to turn out. See, all of us, when we were younger, we had a plan for how things were going to go, right? Somewhat. We had an idea of what our life was going to look like in the future. And, and what happens a lot of times, when, when our life don't turn out like we had it envisioned in our head, like we had planned out, that can bring, and many times does bring, disappointment. Would you agree with that? I've experienced that to some degree in certain areas in my life. Maybe you have too. Let me tell you something else that brings disappointment. What about when someone fails you? Someone does you wrong. When someone brings hurt and heartache to your life without any of your own doing. I mean, it wasn't your fault. You didn't do things that was wrong. You didn't drop the ball in the relationship, but someone else did. It might have been a mama or a daddy or a husband or a wife, mother or father that somehow dropped the ball and brought great hurt and heartache to you. And you had to deal with that for years. And you're still dealing with it to some degree. And, and, and the truth is, when people fail you, that brings disappointment. Now, I got some good news for you. Everybody do this. Listen, you made it. I don't know what happened in your past with people who may have disappointed you. I don't know how people failed you in your past. I don't know what went on. But I can tell you this. By the grace of God, you've come through it. By the grace of God, He's still with you. By the grace of God, you can still be what God wants you to be regardless of what happened yesterday. You cannot keep looking back and allow the disappointments of yesterday to ruin your tomorrow. You can't. You've made it. Move on. Set your eyes on Jesus. Amen. He is the one who is able to restore that which the enemy has destroyed. Are you hearing me? Jesus is truly the answer for the disappointment that we face. Now, a lot of Bible commentators and theologians that I've read said that it's a good possibility that the, the marriage in Cana that Jesus, Mary, and the disciples were attending, that they were invited to, was probably a close friend of the family. And it may have been that Mary had actually been helping with the feast. 
And so when she found out they were running low on what they needed for the wedding guest, she became very disappointed and discouraged. See, things didn't work out just like she had planned. She was disappointed, just like we sometimes get disappointed. And so being Jesus, Jesus' mama, he, she comes to him and says, they, they're running out of wine. And, and Jesus would have known full well what that would have meant for that culture. And so what does he do? He does what's necessary to fix this situation. And he uses what he has. I love um, John Phillips. John Phillips said, just like Moses used the rod to stretch out over the Red Sea, Jesus used the water to make wine. He fixed the situation. He did what was necessary to answer the prayer of his people. His mama was asking him that he would do what was necessary here. And Jesus said unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour has not yet come. It's not time for me to enter into my earthly ministry. But how many of you know a mama has a way of talking to a son? A mama has a way of cutting them eyes at the sun and saying, I need this now. <laughs> I know you can help me, so please help me. And that's exactly what Mary does. And because Jesus loves his mama, and also because he's about to show us who he is, he performs the miracle. Now, now watch what she says. I love this in verse number six. Or excuse me, verse number five. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Now I can't, if, if you don't get anything else of what I'm telling you today, get, get that verse, John 2 and 5. That's the best advice I believe anybody could give concerning the Lord Jesus. Mary looks at all of them and says, what he tells you to do, do it. Folks, what has he told us to do? He's told us right here what we are to do. He's given us clear instruction straight from his word what we are to do. Now listen to me. If you want God's blessing, if you want God to answer those disappointments in your life, if you want God to do what only God can do in your relationships, if you want God to do what only God can do in your everyday living, do what he tells you to do. Listen to him. Listen to him. That's what Mary says. Now, how many of you know, if they hadn't did what Jesus said to do, the miracle never would have happened. And the same is true for us. I mean, I can, I can pray all day long that, uh, about my marriage or about my kids or about my career or about my church. I, I can pray about all this stuff, and we certainly need to be praying about all this stuff for sure. I promise you there's power in prayer, but let me tell you something. We also need to put some feet behind those prayers. Pray about it, yes, but then do what he tells you to do. If you want God's blessing in your marriage, do what he tells you to do. You want God's blessing on your parenting, do what he tells you to do. You want God's blessing in your church, do what he tells you to do concerning his church. We just need to start doing what he tells us to do. Amen. Obedience is key if we're going to be what God wants us to be. Find out what he says and do it. That's what Mary told them. That's what the Bible is telling us this morning. Now listen to me. Wine in the Bible is symbolic of joy. Do you remember me telling you, I guess it was uh, here 
two weeks ago in our Wednesday night Bible study that if we're really going to find out what the Bible is teaching, sometimes it's going to be symbolic, sometimes it's going to be literal. But when you find out what is symbolic, you need to find out what it symbolizes and then literally believe it. Now listen, when he's talking, when the Bible talks about wine, many times throughout the Old Testament you're going to see that he's talking about joy. The wine represents joy um, to the people of God. In the book of Psalms, the, the day King David says this in uh, Psalm 114 in verse number 15. The Bible tells us, or 104 in verse number 15, that wine is a symbol of joy. Isaiah 25, the Bible teaches that wine is a symbol of joy. Amos chapter 9, the Bible teaches that wine is a symbol of joy. And so what Jesus is offering now is, listen, joy in the midst of disappointment. Now, listen to me. You need to get a hold of this. Nehemiah chapter 8. Verse number 10. Brothers, put that on the screen for me. Write, write that down in your notes. Make sure you get back to this because this is a very, very, very powerful verse. Look what it says. Nehemiah chapter 8, the 10th verse. Go down to verse number 10, please, brother. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be ye sorry. For the joy, watch this now, of the Lord is your strength. Does everybody see that? See, we're all going to face disappointments throughout our lives, each and every one of us. Regardless of how successful we become at our job, we'll face disappointments. Regardless of how blessed we are with our family, we'll face disappointments. Regardless of how God works in our church, we'll face disappointments. All of us are going to face disappointment when it comes to living in the world we live in, a world that is marred by sin. We're going to face disappointments. So what the Bible is telling us in Nehemiah 8 and 10 is that the joy of the Lord is what gives us strength to walk through the disappointments we face. That's the picture Jesus is painting through this miracle in John chapter 2. Listen to me, folks. We need joy to overcome the stuff we have to go through day by day. And how many know we're all going through some stuff? We go through some physical stuff. We go through some financial stuff. We go through some relational stuff. We go through some stuff. And sometimes we wonder... What in the world's going on? And God, why are you allowing me to go through this? Why are you allowing me to be disappointed? Why are you allowing me to be discouraged? Why are you allowing me to go through what I'm going through? You ever been there? I know I have. Let me tell you what I'm thankful for. And, and I can tell you, Nehemiah 8 and 10 is absolute truth. The joy of the Lord is our strength. You know what I'm thankful for? Jesus doesn't give happiness. He gives joy. There's a difference in happiness and joy. Happiness is based upon your happenings. You can almost hear that in the word. What happens to you determines your happiness. That means if something good happens, I can be happy. But what happens if something bad happens? Then I lose that happiness. Joy is not like that. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit that is given to the child of God that even in the midst of darkest times, the most disappointing times, the most discouraging times, times of doubt and fear, death <laughs> even. Listen to me. In those times we can still have joy. 
And that joy gives us strength to go on day by day. Even when life knocks us down, it helps us to get back up. I remember when I was a little boy, I loved He-Man. Any, any other He-Man fans? I tell them, I'm going to tell my age just a little bit because, man, He-Man he was back in the day, but I was all about some He-Man. I remember when I was probably four or five years old, for Christmas, I got a He-Man punching bag. Y'all ever saw them? It, had, it was like, really was just a little more than a balloon, just a rubber blow-up thing that you blowed up and had a weight in the bottom of it. And so you could, you could, and it was Skeletor, and I always wanted to be He-Man, so I'd go and punch on Skeletor, all right? So it had this big stand-up thing, you know, and I'd go and just knock the floor out of it, and that thing, it, it, it would go all the way to the ground, then what would it do? Pop right back up. And man, I'd go and drop kick it, and it'd go all the way down to the ground, then what would it do? Come right back up. And no matter how many times I would hit that thing, or kick that thing, or tackle that thing, whatever we did, no matter how many times, as long as it had that weight, as long as it had that foundation, it just popped right back up. Let me tell you what I believe Nehemiah 8 and 10 is telling us. The joy is the door of the Lord because of that relationship we have with Him. That joy He gives us is that weight in the bottom that helps us pop right back up when life knocks us down. When we get disappointed and discouraged and don't know what to do or how to do it or when to do it. You ever been there? The joy of the Lord helps us keep on keeping on. Even in the midst of trouble. Jesus is the answer for the disappointment of man. His mama said, son, we need you to do what only God can do. And Jesus does it because Jesus is God. John chapter 2 and Verse number six, you need to see Jesus in the marriage. You certainly need to see Jesus and his mama, but you need to see Jesus in the miracle. Watch what it says. And there set there six water pots of stone and the manner of purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus said unto them, fill the water pots up with water and they filled them up to the brim. So get that. How do you know Jesus gives joy to the fullness? He gives joy fully. Now let me ask you something. Do you remember when you first got saved? Do you remember how joy flooded your soul? Do you remember how your cup filled up and run over? Do you remember how sweet it was to talk to the Lord and walk with the Lord every day? To walk in joy even in the midst of the most terrible problems you could face. God was, you just knew God was with you and you knew God was for you. And you looked to Him and trusted Him and served Him and loved Him. Do you, do you remember how God gave you fullness of joy? That's what He offers. And the reason, the reason that we miss out on that fullness of joy as Christians is simply because of unconfessed sin in our lives. You know what David prayed in Psalm 51 after he had committed the sin with Bathsheba? He prayed that the Lord would forgive him of his sin and restore unto him the joy of his salvation. We lose our joy because of unconfessed sin. We lose our joy because we take God 
off the pedestal in our lives and put other things up there. We, 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 we replace God as our first priority and we begin to lose our joy when we take our eyes off Jesus. Dr. David Jeremiah says something I love. He said, if you want a recipe for joy, this is it. Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. That's pretty good. Keep Jesus first. Keep looking to him. Get that unconfessed sin out of your life. Confess it to the Lord. And the Bible says He'll forgive you of it. And He'll restore that joy that He gave to the fullest. He said, fill them up to the brim. Now there's a reason He filled them up to the brim. Not just to, as an example, as a symbol of the joy He gives us, the fullness of joy. But now, now listen, I, I think He had them filled to the rim so nobody could say there was anything else in that pot but water. See, he wanted everybody to see what was fixing to happen, what was fixing to take place. Because again, there's a, some significance in this sign. There's a message in this miracle. And he's teaching them who he is and who they are and how much they need him, how much we need him. So he offers or, or fills the water pots up, verse number 8, and he said unto them, Draw not out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. Now listen, for wine to become wine it's a long process. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of work. But Jesus just fills up some water pots and then by his power, it changes right before their eyes. What does that tell us? Well, that tells me that Jesus has power over all creation. That tells me Jesus is not hindered by time. That tells me Jesus can do what only God can do because Jesus is God. Verse 9, when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water and it was made wine and knew what whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doeth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. Now watch what else. Watch what happens. Verse 11. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Canaan of Galilee and manifested. What's the message in this miracle? What's the significance of this sign? I'll tell you what it is. To manifest. To bring into the light the glory of the Lord Jesus. And then the Bible says, and his disciples believed on him. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. I don't know what's disappointed you. I don't know what's got you discouraged. I don't know what's got you downhearted. I don't know what's happened in your life. Whether it be something of your own doing or because someone else let you down. I don't know. But I do know this. Jesus is the answer for my disappointment. And he's the answer for yours. And let me tell you this. He offers joy in fullness. He offers joy freely. Amen. It's free. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You don't pay for it. You don't earn it. You receive it freely as the gift that He is. He offers joy in fullness. He offers joy freely. And let me tell you something else. He offers joy forever. I remember the hardest time in my life was when my brother was killed in a car wreck. I'll never forget that. 
He's my best friend. Where you've seen one, you've seen the other. And at 18 years of age, I'm talking about just like that, he left this walk of life. Matter of fact, the evening that he died, me and him had planned to go fishing, and I was actually on my way to meet him to go fishing. And on my way to town, I saw all of the cars that were at Fox Crossing, and I actually turned before I got there on the old road because I didn't want to go and get in all that that was down there, so I turned left went on out to town and someone saw me turn that was at the wreck site, ran me down, told me what was going on, and then I had to go back and tell my mother and my father. Folks, I, can, I cannot even begin to explain to you the pain, the heartache that I saw in the face of my mama when I told her what had just happened. I'll never forget how she screamed to the top of her lungs, ran out into the middle of my yard and just collapsed. I'll never forget that. Never forget it. Hardest time of my life. Hardest time of my family's life. Now let me tell you something. Even in the midst of that, Jesus gave joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He offers it fully, freely. And he offers it forever, regardless, regardless of what you face in this life. What's the miracle? He turned water into wine. What's the message? The joy of Jesus that he gives freely, fully, and forever is what helps us through the disappointments in this life and we're all going to face them. Every one of them. I'm asking you this morning, if you've not yet trusted in Jesus as your personal Savior, why don't you do that? Like I read to you a little bit earlier, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you are condemned. You're guilty. You're, you're on your way to punishment in a devil's hell. But the Bible says you can trust in Jesus and be forgiven. You can have eternal life. <laughs> you can be pardoned if you'll place your faith, your trust in his finished work today. Why don't you do that? If you have done that, are you still facing disappointment? Sometimes we do. Are you missing out on the joy that used to be deep down in your soul? Well, all of us do from time to time. And just like David, we have to repent and say, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. As a child of God, the Bible says if we'll confess our sins, he'll cleanse us of our sins and forgive us of all unrighteousness. Do you know that? Let me just read that scripture to you. 1 John chapter 1, Nathan, if you will, brother. Put um, verse number, let's just start with verse number 8. 1 John chapter 1, verse number 8. John here is writing to believers and he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. He say, what he's saying is, if any of us believe that we're free of sin, that we don't struggle with sin still, even after we've been born again, we're deceiving our own selves. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. Regardless of what pulpit you preach in or what pew you sit in, as long as we're in this flesh, we're going to struggle with sin. 
We're going to be tempted. We're going to fall to temptation from time to time. Not that we want to, but that's just the way it is. That's the nature of the beast, so to speak. This is where we are. But the good news is, listen, he says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, you know what it means to confess sin? It's to come into agreement. That's what the word confess means. That means I come into agreement with what God has said. God, I see that I am not what you, I'm not where you want me to be according to your truth. So I am agreeing with you that I'm wrong, you're right, and I ask for your forgiveness. When we do that as believers, God says, I'll forgive you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, watch this now, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you want the joy of your salvation, to be what it used to be, maybe we just need to confess sin that's in our life. If it's true for David, the man after God's own heart, it's certainly true for us. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. If you need to be saved today, I want to ask you to come and, like I tell you all the time, folks, walking this aisle don't save you, and being in this church don't save you. I certainly can't save you, but I'll tell you what I can do. I can share with you in the Word of God what it means to trust in Jesus and be born again. And the same Jesus who has saved me can and will save you by His grace if you place your faith in Him. If you need that today, you come because I, I want to I share with you what the Word of God says about that. If you're here today and you know you've been saved, but you, there are just some things in your life you need to talk over with the Lord. Hey, I've been there too. I stay there daily. And it's so good to know that the same grace that once saved you keeps you. He still loves you. Do you know that? Do you know that God loves you? Somebody sent me something the other day. It says, God is so good, He will forgive you of the wrong things you've done to Him and against Him. And he won't hold it against you. I love that. That is good. That, that's the truth, though. The Bible says if you confess your sins, he'll forgive you. Maybe you need to do that today. Maybe you need to pray for a lost loved one today. Maybe you need to join this church today. You've prayed about it, and God said this is where you need to be. See, I guess what I'm trying to say is if you're not saved, come let us help you. If you are saved, won't you come help us? It can be your church, your pastor, your Sunday school class. What we're doing instead of what they're doing. If you need the Lord in any way, God is good. He loves you today. If you need Him, you come.